Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. As longtime listeners of the show know, each and every week we discuss the parasha, the weekly section of the Torah, one of the five books of Moses that is read in synagogues throughout the world. Synagogues are now reading selections from the book of Exodus, the second book of the Torah. And this week's parasha is called Terumah. It begins in Exodus 25 and continues through the middle of Exodus 27. Before we discuss it in detail, let me give you an overview of the parasha. The people of Israel continue their journey in the wilderness, hoping to reach the promised land. And the people of Israel are called upon to contribute 13 materials, gold, silver, copper, purple, blue, and red dyed wool, flax, goat hair, animal skins, wood, olive oil, spices, gems, out of which God says to Moses, they shall make for me a sanctuary, and I will dwell amidst them. The parasha continues to tell us that on the summit of Mount Sinai, Moses is given detailed instructions on how to construct this dwelling for God so that it could be readily dismantled, transported, and reassembled as the people journeyed in the desert. In the sanctuary's inner chamber, behind an artistically woven curt was the ark, containing the tablets of testimony engraved with the Ten Commandments. On the ark's cover stood two winged cherubim, hammered out of pure gold. In the outer chamber stood the seven-branch menorah and the table upon which the showbread was arranged. The sanctuary's three walls were fitted together from 18 upright wooden boards, each of which was overlaid with gold and held up by a pair of silver foundation sockets. The roof was formed of three layers of coverings, according to the Torah, tapestries of multicolored wool and linen, a covering made of goat hair, and a covering of ram and tahash skins. From the front of the sanctuary was an embroidered screen held up by five posts. Surrounding the sanctuary and the copper-plated altar which fronted it was an enclosure of linen hangings supported by 60 wooden posts with silver hooks and trimmings and reinforced by copper stakes. The Torah speaks in great specificity about the building of the tabernacle. With me this morning is Rabbi Henry Karp, Rabbi Emeritus of Temple Emmanuel, Davenport, Iowa. Rabbi Karp has served for nearly 30 years as Rabbi of the congregation in Davenport. 
He also served a solo congregation in Lincoln, Nebraska. His service to the Jewish people has centered in small communities in the Midwest of the United States. He is known for his commitment to teaching of Torah and to social justice. In his retirement, he continues to serve the congregation and to teach an introduction Judaism course at St. Ambrose University in Davenport, Iowa. It is a pleasure to welcome Rabbi Karp to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. Good morning, Rabbi Karp. Good morning, Rabbi Garten. It's wonderful to be here with you. Well, it is a pleasure to welcome you. Um, our show originates in Ottawa, Canada, and we are in the middle of a snowstorm. Um, I'm sure that it's warm and uh, the sun is shining in the middle of Iowa. Well, actually, today the sun is shining, although we've been having constant snow and uh, the temperature, uh, the temperature outside is frightful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, when last is... I looked, it was one degree below zero with a wind chill of 18 below. Well, and, and that's yeah, and that's been pretty constant for the last week. I mean, actually, that's warm for the last week. Well, you make us feel like we in Ottawa are now in Florida. <laughs> we're not quite there this morning. We have been there on other mornings. This parasha, Truma, is uh, a very interesting parasha. It's filled with uh, unbelievable specificity. So I wanted to suggest that we begin right at the beginning in uh, Exodus 25. I'm going to read it directly from the parasha. The Lord spoke to Moses, telling the Israelite people to bring me gifts. You shall accept gifts from me from every person whose heart so moves him. And in enunciating the gifts, in verse 8 of chapter 25, we come upon the verse, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them, exactly as I show you the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, so you shall make it. And I'm wondering, how do you understand this phrase, let them make for me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them with, uh, that I may dwell among them? Well, you know, um, uh, the Hebrew itself is, is fascinating because uh, the, the text in Hebrew uh, reads, Basuli Mikdash Veshachanti Betochah. Yeah, and which yeah, the word the key word here for me is but uh, um, uh, among among them because the preface uh, uh, the prefix in Hebrew of the can mean with or in. Yeah, uh, so is it so I draw among them or do I dwell? within them. And the them there seems at odds with the commandment about the building. 
Is that what you're suggesting? I'm suggesting that there that there is a physical sanctuary and a spiritual sanctuary. That um, you know, you've heard the you've heard the expression uh, that one's you know make one's body a temple. That there is a spiritual sanctuary. It's just that there's the sanctuary that you go into, like in the synagogue, and there's the sanctuary that you create within yourself by the choices that you make and how how you conduct your lives. And uh, and the whole issue of God's presence. God's presence is with you know, within the physical sanctuary when people gather in prayer to dedicate that time to uh, to to the worship of God and to the recognition of their relationship with God. But there's uh, God is what you know God's presence is with you or can be within you um, every single minute of the day. One of my favorite Hasidic stories is the story of um, of a Jew who's uh, walking the road, trying to get to market, and a and a wagon driver approaches with his wagon, and the Jew flags him down and asks the wagon driver for a lift into town, and uh, the wagon driver agrees but charges him a fee, and they're riding down the road, and they come upon a field of grain. And the wagon driver stops and says, listen, you stay here on the wagon and I'm going to go over there and gather some of that grain. I'm going to fill my wagon with grain and I'm going to sell it and market. And I want you to keep a, be with my lookout, to keep an eye, to see if anybody's watching while I take that grain. And so the wagon driver gets off the wagon. He starts harvesting harvesting the grain of somebody else's crop. And uh, all of a sudden, the Jew starts shouting, someone's watching, someone's watching. And the wagon driver drops the grain. He runs to the wagon, jumps on the top of the wagon, hits the, uh, hit the reins and gets his horses flying down the road. And then he's looking around and doesn't see anybody. And he said, who's watching? And the Jew said, God is watching. So it's a beautiful story, and it uh, confirms your interpretation of the Torah. But I want to ask you, do you think the Torah is uh, uh, purposely ambiguous about the use of this term? Um, because it comes in the midst of this long description of the specificity of the building. Do I think that the Torah is ambiguous about? I think Hebrew, the Hebrew itself is ambiguous. But as we know from studying Torah, that Torah, that, that, that Torah is a multi-layered document. And, they, uh, and uh, the rabbis would constantly peel back the layers. And indeed, mysticism, Jewish mysticism, is all about peeling back layers of scripture to find mystical teachings in it uh yeah to draw us closer to god so the peshat the simple literal 
meaning of the Torah portion is about building a physical sanctuary. But there is a deeper meaning about it, uh, the remez, if you will, uh, that, uh, that, that that hint. The Hebrew that uh, Rabbi Karp has used, remez, is suggestive of one of the methodologies of interpretation of Torah in which the Torah, by virtue of the word, hints at a meaning that is deeper than the literal meaning. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, and, and the, the remez there yeah, is, you know, for lack of a better term, and I apologize for this phrase, is the devils in the details. The Torah goes into such specific details about the building of the sanctuary. It's not like, you know, just build it, make it a nice place, make sure there's enough seating, you know, it's comfortable. You know, it's all about details, the specific details. I mean, you know, uh, yeah, even as you, as, as you read earlier about the list of gifts, you know, uh, it's like, you know, in, in today's world, it would say that, God registered, yeah, yeah, registered for the gifts for his sanctuary. Yeah, it's like a baby registry or a wedding registry. But that everything is specific. Everything is specific, and it's all about the details. And so it is when we build a sanctuary within us, when we make ourselves a, a sanctuary, because it's all about how, the details of how we conduct our lives, about the words that we say, and the actions that we take, the way we relate to people. Uh, I'm a, a big one for, I, I love uh, Martin Buber's uh, I Thou, I It uh, theology. You know, are we, are we treating others as human beings in an interactive relationship, or are we treating others as objects, as it's? Like a how we go into when we go into that when we used to be able to go into a restaurant and sit at a table and be served by by a server are we treating that server as uh, as an object that is there to provide us with whatever it is we ordered and, and or are we treating that server as a human being who's um, working for a living yeah and uh, it's deserving of human respect you know, who deserves to be you know, told thank you when they, when they bring the food. And so I, I'm interested as you talk about the sanctuary and the meaning of details. Um, Jews read this parasha every week. And one might think that the specificity regarding the building has led communities throughout the world to believe that the building that they construct in honor of their community and their worship of God is more important than what takes place in the building. Um, do we find that in the modern interpretation of this text, there's been some uh, ambiguity, not only in the text itself, but as to how Jews and perhaps others who read this text um, have built these large monuments to the deity and worried less about what took place inside. 
Well, you could only worry about what takes place inside the building if you worry about what takes place inside of you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not. It's not the. Uh, it's it's not the building that. Yeah, you know, that's. I'm just going to build a building, but that uh, drives people. That keeps people away from from the from the sanctuary. It's that I built that building inside of me. And you know, the relationship with God is, is yeah. You know, our relationship with God is is uh, is an important relationship. More than just saying I believe in God, I'm a Jew and I believe in God. Yeah, God and God being like a one of those neon signs in front of a, a store that says open and it goes flashing O P E N open open. You know, for us saying G O D God God God, we have to have a serious uh, encounter with our own perceptions of God and what what are the what is the nature of that relationship, and how do we how do we practically relate to God? So, um, being being in being in Ottawa, the home of the movie Field of Dreams, written by a Canadian uh, author, the uh, clarion call of the book and of the movie is: if you build it, they will come. Um, is our portion um, the antithesis of that? Rather than saying, if you simply build it, they will come, referring to the baseball uh, in field in the cornfield, is it, it's more than building it that requires them to come. Yeah, I, I've been living in Iowa since 1985. So you can, you can bet your, your bottom dollar that I have visited the field of dreams <laughs> and I have a baseball cap from the field of dreams. And, uh, and, and have you, I, and have you seen baseball players walking out from amongst the corn stalks? Well, yeah, but they were live people. They were, baseball players. they were tourists, <laughs> but, uh, but I, I think that, uh, what, uh, you should gather from that. Is 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 not is is not uh, that if you simply build it, it depends. You know how you approached not just the building, but the whole experience. I mean, the matter is is they they who is they that comes to the to the field of dreams? Those who love baseball, those who have an an active interactive relationship with baseball. You know, and uh, you know, it's always bothered me. You know, living living in in the Midwest, football is a big thing. Okay, college football is a big thing. And when I lived in Lincoln, Nebraska, when I lived in Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, the you know the third largest population center in Lincoln, Nebraska, was Memorial Stadium. Was uh, was was the football stadium on a football Saturday? There was Omaha, there was Lincoln, there was the football stadium, and there was Grand Island. Okay, yeah, you know, they built that stadium, and the people came, and it just, as they as they do uh, to the stadium in Iowa City for the University of Iowa, and they have uh, tailgating parties before the football game, and you know, I got in a lot of trouble. 
one high holidays when uh, there was the when there was a, a, a home game in Lincoln against none other than uh, Oklahoma, Lincoln's, uh, Nebraska's arch rival on Yom Kippur. And I wrote an article in the New Temple Newsletter uh, say, calling upon the people saying, now you have to make a real choice. Is it going to be the Torah or the touchdown? Because Jews really, you know, Jews of, of Nebraska flock to the to Lincoln to Nebraska games, big red. They all wearing their red outfits and what have you. And perhaps, uh, be, perhaps before you could have the PVR. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It, it, it was before. It was even before. Yeah, it was even before videotape. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but, so I let, let me let me just finish the story. Sure. But um, that article was picked up by the local newspaper and then was picked up by the national news. I was the I was TBS's sports quote of the day and I was in the New York Daily News sports quote of the day. And I had congregants when I stepped out on the Bima on, on Yom Kippur Eve, I had congregants looking at me with daggers. Why? Because they had season tickets and they were inundated by friends who were asking them for their season for their tickets for the for the game, the, uh, since they're going to be at Yom Kippur services, uh, it's yeah. It, 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 you know, people worship these things. They 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 truly worship baseball. They truly worship. They 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 truly worship football. And yeah, and it draws it, and, and of course it's part of who they are. Now the question is: Is it a, is worshiping God a part of who they are? Have they built that sanctuary? within them. So the parasha, uh, as you rightly says, has this uh, complicated meaning to the Hebrew word betocham. And I want to ask you what the connection is between the opening verse and the verse that you've expounded upon. So I'll read it out loud to the listeners. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, tell the Israelite people to bring me gifts. You shall accept gifts from for me from every person whose heart so moves him. And I've always pondered this question of what did it mean when the Torah says gifts from the person whose heart moves him? Does that mean that there needs to be a prior commitment to God before you bring the gifts um, and that uh, fundraising, whether it's in the sanctuary, the church, or in the community, is um, not based uh, today on, should it be based on that which moves your heart, or is there another motivation for giving, and is the Torah ignoring these other motivations? Well, you know, um, you know the 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 very idea of the heart, the uh, whose heart so moves them. Once again, it's about, it's about the internal. You know, as we will see later in the Torah, they, the people come forward with these gifts to such great abundance that they have to be told to stop. That they're giving more than than, than is needed for the project. Uh, 
what motivates it, it's the it's the motivation of the people. It's what they it's what they feel within them that uh, that 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 drives them. We see uh, with the fundamentalist Christianity, particularly these particularly these mega churches, you know what what draws these you know so you know these large crowds of people to belong to these mega churches and to fund these massive complexes of of worship that have Starbucks within them. I mean, it's yeah, uh, it's it's what's inside of them that they find meaning, that they that they connect, that they truly do connect with 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 their perception of God through what takes place in that in the, in those buildings. And that it's their connection which God which drives them to those buildings and to be with others who are deeply connected with God. Whereas you have massive buildings in Europe, it's cathedrals that are empty except for tourists. Yeah. So you've again connected this portion, which seems to spend a great deal of words and verses on building materials on the beginning of the parasha, which seems to focus on the internal, that seems to focus on the spiritual nature. And so I want to leave that and accept that as one of the powerful interpretations of this parasha. And in the few moments that are left to us, I want to ask you to describe to our listeners how the sanctuary, which is described in this week's parasha, is manifest in sanctuaries in synagogues throughout the world. Because it seems to me that many of the particular physical aspects that are described in parasha Truma are now visible in every sanctuary, in every synagogue, including Davenport, Iowa. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, so, for example, you have the eternal light. Okay, you have you have the near tamid, yeah, uh, which is the perpetual flame that burns in the in, in in the in the in the mikdash, yeah, and um, and then you have the seven branched menorah that you that you spoke about earlier, the seven branched menorah, uh, which is a a, a beautiful. Uh, presentation of Shabbat. I want to thank our guest, Rabbi Henry Karp, for sharing his wisdom with us. The podcast of this morning's Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts can be found on iTunes or on the chri.ca website. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten, wishing you good day and shalom. Shalom.